This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with one of the great jazz drummers of his generation, Mr. Billy Drummond. The list of jazz legends Billy has toured and recorded with includes Sonny Rollins, Horace Silver, Joe Henderson, Bobby Hutcherson, and many more. He has also just released his fourth album as a leader, entitled Valse Sinistre. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features Will Kennedy discussing the recording of his song Samaritan, which he composed for the new Yellow Jackets record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sohn and Eric Slick, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. There's also a video by me illustrating my favorite warm-up routine, which I've found to be really useful and effective over the years. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So this was a great talk I had with Billy. We got into some big picture stuff musically, professionally, and personally. And it was especially cool for me to hear him talk about playing with Horace Silver, who is one of my favorite jazz artists. So here we go. Hope you dig Billy Drummond. just released this uh album as a leader um i believe it's only the second album you've done as a leader and the two were 25 years apart is that correct no i've done this is my fourth album as a leader oh i see okay but um it's been 26 years or so since the last one that i did wow okay so I'm always curious when uh, a drummer, uh, jazz or otherwise, you know, chooses to head up uh, a group or an album uh, in that way. Um, so I'd I'd love to hear you talk about that. But also, why why the uh, why the long gap? Oh wow! Well, 
I had some technical difficulties there <laughs> uh, about 20 years ago. I see. Uh, some some things uh, kind of prevented me from <clears throat> from pursuing that sort of thing. But um, fortunately, I was able to uh, persevere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's taken me this long to finally do something. Um, the other thing that uh, probably had something to do with it not happening sooner besides my own personal uh, uh, dilemma uh, was uh, the fact that nobody was particularly interested in in it mm-hmm. in me you know uh, doing a record as a leader even though I had been leading um, a form of this band since uh, probably around 2007, six, something like that, maybe, maybe even earlier than that. So, uh, but the band, the band has, has been in uh, several incarnations since that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certain musicians coming in and out and it's, it's, it's hard to maintain a, a, a steady uh, organization if you don't have steady work, yeah, for you know, sure. Because uh, all these all these guys uh, that I use are are um, are very busy as side men and leaders and stuff in their own right. So, right, uh, their plate is pretty full, as is mine. I I I, I play with a, a lot of different people, and uh, I'm in I'm in. Uh, different groups and stuff, you know, that to keep me busy too. And I, I, uh, I, I've never been in a position to just be solely a band leader. Right. But, um, right. I'm, I've also been a sideman, quote unquote, for my entire playing career. So, and I don't want to change that because I've had some great opportunities to play with, uh, a lot of the greatest musicians in the world. And, uh, I yeah, still do. The the list of uh of artists that you've played with uh is long and insane and we're we're going <laughs> to talk about as many of them as we can. Um because yeah. there are definitely a couple of my favorites on that list. Um but as as far as your group and and this record in particular, um it it appears to be most if not all original compositions. Um are those compositions coming from you or from other members of the band or or a combination? Uh, they're, they're coming from a variety of, of places. Um, uh, uh, so I'm trying to think, um, uh, two of us contributed originals, uh, Desron, the bass player, Desron Douglas, the bass player contributed an arrangement of a piece that was written by, uh, uh one of the all time iconic saxophone figures uh being jackie mclean mm-hmm. um and then uh the rest of them uh were written by uh either people that i admired or people that i both had played with and admired mm-hmm. so um and then there was one kind of standard uh, a ballad piece that's like uh uh, kind of a standard that was that's basically uh, 
was sung by several different artists, including uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra and uh, mm-hmm. played by Charlie Parker and uh, people like that uh, from a, a song that was written back in the 40s, I believe, called Laura, which is the title track of a sort of a film noir uh, movie from that time period and uh, the song is just a, a, a theme, a beautiful song and uh, we just played it kind of as a uh, as if I was singing or as if we were singing it so there's no improvisation ne- necessarily involved in it, it's more just like a, just we just sang the song right? and that was it as if we were vocalists singing and that was that was kind of my my uh my intent yeah yeah mm-hmm. pronounce the name of the record for me because i'm i'm not sure about it <laughs> okay it's called valse sinistre got it okay and uh that's a tune that was uh written by uh uh carla blay who's somebody that i had spent a lot of time traveling and recording with uh for about 12 years or so and she's uh, one of the most iconic composers and musicians in the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it was a song that I uh, had played with her a couple of times back when I was working with her. And uh, I vowed to her and to myself that I, I, I loved it so much that I wanted to, I said I wanted to record it one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when the opportunity arose, uh, you know, I contacted her and said, listen, I still want to record this thing. Is it okay? And she was like, by all means, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. people, uh, people that write music, you know, it's, it's one of the great things for them to have somebody else feel so moved by their composition that they want to record it themselves. So, right. so, uh, I was so happy that she gave me her blessings and, uh, and then I decided to uh, make that the title track to the record. Mm-hmm. And as far as the, um, is, is there a, a particular theme or aesthetic uh, about this record that you're exploring, either you know, be it a musical theme or sort of a personal theme for you in your life or your playing? Uh, well, I guess every recording, um, at its core, is a a snapshot of the the person's the artist the musicians whose record it is right i think the best jazz uh, records especially are are that yeah yeah it's kind of a snapshot of where you i think i said in the liner notes i said it somewhere that it's a kind of a, a portrait of me uh and where i've been and where i am and where i'm going mm-hmm. and uh that's really that's really what it is because hopefully I'll do something else at some point and that'll be where I am then. Right. Where I've been and where I'm going. And it might be a little different, you know, it might be, it's evolution, you know, it's, a, it's an evolution and it's, uh, you know, that's why, you know, most musicians that have some somewhat, somewhat of a solo recording career, uh, you know, take different turns and go different places because they're curious and, uh, 
the more restless you are and the more inquisitive you are, you, you tend to want to explore different avenues. And uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I like to be stimulated and I like to be challenged and I like to uh, remain uh, inquisitive. (laughs) So, so, uh, so that's, that's kind of what, what the record is. It's just me me being me for right now, you know? Right. And like talking about who you are right now, I think most, most musicians who are working on themselves are either mm-hmm. working to sort of expand their identity and, and bring new things into it or, uh, sort of like distill their identity and, um, uh, maybe get rid of some things that aren't serving them anymore. Um, mm-hmm. so which, which of those do you feel you're uh you're in the midst of right now mm, I, I don't i'm not i'm not trying to discard anything or uh anything like that i'm just i i think i'm just being honest as to who i am at the moment and what i want to do at the moment that's mm-hmm. pretty much the the i'm not trying to prove anything that's for sure um <laughs> um and I'm not trying to demonstrate to anybody what I what I can do and all that kind of stuff because I don't look at music in that way. Uh, like I said, I, it's it's a more organic way of looking at it. I think uh, not to not to say that somebody that wants to do something that's you know that's uh, has a thematic intent or whatever that's that's fine too. If mm-hmm. you want to make a statement or you want to prove a point or you want to uh you want to reflect on something that has happened to you or you want to make a political statement or whatever it is uh your view of the world uh etc like that but uh, for me for this particular record it wasn't anything like that it was just I, i i i wanted to play the music that i wanted to play i wanted to play it the best that i could play i wanted to get the musicians that i felt like wanted to play with me and uh, present their talents the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that was, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, who's to say what, what I'll do the next time if, if I'm given the opportunity, you know, maybe there'll be something in my life that happens between now and then that makes me want to, uh, move in a direction that represents or reflects reflects um, uh, my view at that time about a particular thing or a particular event or or you know you know there's all kinds of things that you know we we know uh, all kinds of music great music that's been made based on the artist's uh, condition right, right. <laughs> uh, or, or you know, or, 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 or the present, uh, uh, mood or mm-hmm. emotion, emotional, um, backlash, you know? Right. And that, and that's okay. You know, music, music should be a reflection of life. And so there, there you go, you know? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You referred earlier to, uh, uh, some, some technical difficulties you had and a, and a personal dilemma. Is, is that something mm-hmm. you'd care to expand on or, or no? Not, not really. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, an, I'm older now and I've, I've had my fair share of, um, 
you know, uh, you know, bumps and bruises. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think we all do. You know, nobody gets out of here unscathed. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, that's pretty much that's pretty much as as much as I want to say about it because it's it's my own uh, personal uh, uh, situation right. that I that I had to deal with, and and people deal with it in different ways. Some people uh, go in, and some people latch out, lash out, right. you know. And so, for me, it was a time to um, reflect and sort things out because it, it also required me to sort things out. I had to, I had to really kind of put put things in order and sort things out and, and, uh, acquiesce to a new situation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what it is. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it comes up a lot in our, in our conversations and, um, you know, some, some people are, are pretty open and public about whatever bumps in the road they had and others are, are more private, but, um, we've heard yeah. so many stories about just, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of, of being a musician and being a person in the world and how that inevitably will rear its head in, in your career and force, you know, it force you to either make a change in your career or in your personal life. And, um, you know, almost, uh, in, in all cases, um, whatever somebody went through and whatever they did to get through it results in, um, a, like a, a truer version of themselves and, and, you know, a greater ability to be their best self musically and personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it boils down to this, uh, and this, I can speak this, <laughs> I can speak about this and say this about everybody. We're human beings first Yeah. before we're musicians or, jazz musicians or a drummer or whatever it is that you identify as mm -hmm. a man, a woman, whatever we're human beings first and foremost. And so that's the thing that we have to ad address and all of its foibles and blessings. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, um, that's a something to 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 consider you know and as you as you get older you start to uh look at that a little bit with a different lens at least i do I'd love to hear you talk about uh, just sort of the balance between um, creative expression in jazz and accessibility, um, because you know I have a background in jazz, um, and it's something that I've I've wrestled with a lot, both in in what I choose to play and what I choose to listen to. Um, so, is is that calculus even in your head uh, as a performer, as a composer? 
Well, let me see if I can understand where you're coming from with that. Um, when you say what you choose to play and what you choose to listen to, um, uh, well, there's there's things that I listen to that that I that I don't choose to play. I mean, sure. I, I like I like you know, I mean, that word jazz is kind of a a word that's hard to it's difficult for me to kind of uh, use anymore because uh, for, for me, what jazz is might not be what jazz is to somebody that lives in Slovenia. Yeah. It's a highly, somebody, it's a highly subjective term and it means different right. things to different people. And exactly. some, some people are very orthodox about it and some people are kind of wide open about it. Um, yeah. Well, even within those, even within those, descriptions there's a lot of sub yeah <laughs> genres within that you know right, what i mean because right. uh, orthodox could mean uh dixieland it could right. mean 20s 20s and 30s big band music it could mean avant-garde it can mean uh you know s- smooth jazz yep. okay it can yep. it can mean a lot of different things bebop whatever you know um so yeah um but um I can listen to music that I don't, that I'm not the least bit interested in playing. Um, and that's, that's not a negative thing. That's more just about um, knowing what I want to do and knowing what I don't want to do and knowing what I'm capable of and knowing what I'm not capable of. Mm-hmm. You understand? So, yeah. um, uh, so I can listen to um Let's say uh, if, if we if we stay within the term that the J word term, I could listen to, I could listen to Count Basie, right, mm-hmm. and his and his all of his different big band music and all of his different things, which I love to death. But I'm not, I don't, I haven't put any time into to to really dealing with that as a player, right, and so I don't feel like i'm capable of doing that because i haven't put put any energy to 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 knowing how to do that the way i would want to do it if i was going to do it right. i wouldn't want to do it and be not very good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know because i've heard what very good is you know when you listen to those records and you listen to those those drummers that would the role that i would be playing you know and you look at you know joe jones and you look at uh uh Sonny Payne and you look at Gus Johnson and you look at uh Harold Jones, etc. Yep. etc. etc. Et et you look at all those people. And, yeah. There you go. So <laughs> those people, that's what they do. Yeah. That's what they that's what they, you know, that's what you know. Some of them can do other things too, but but the but doing that, they do that really, 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 really at a super high level. Right. And I haven't I haven't had ex- the experience of doing that. Nor have I put in the time um, researching it from that perspective. You know, I, you know. I even though I do listen to it, I'm, and I'm just using this as 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 an as an example. Yeah. You know, um, uh, same thing with let's say uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra. <laughs> uh, okay, so I love that music. I grew up on a lot of that music that was jazz, rock, fusion because I grew up when that music was really 
being introduced to the world. And I I toyed around with playing that that way, but I haven't done that in decades. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not equipped to do that, nor am I capable of doing that. I mean, I could have fun and mess around and all that kind of stuff, but there's people that do that. In fact, the people that did it then still are doing it. Billy Cobham and right. Lenny, Lenny White and uh, all those people that, that 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 do that. You know what I mean? And right. so, uh, so that's you know. And then there's other music that's not jazz that I really, you know, I I can I can listen to. Uh, oh, let me give you an example. Um, I can listen to Bjork. Yeah. Um, I can listen to, um, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, music that I grew up with that I don't play anymore. And I used to kind of play that music like, uh, uh, Sly and the Family Stone yeah, and yeah. Uh, Ohio players and all that kind of stuff, man. I, you know, I did that for a long time, but I don't do it now and I don't, I wouldn't want to do it and I'm probably not capable of doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I still listen to it yeah, <laughs> and I course. still love it as much as I love anything else. Yeah. Um, so those are just some examples of of some things to perhaps address the question that you asked about that. Yeah. Um, and all of those, uh, you know, artists that you cited, you know, even though you uh, you don't you know, you don't play any of that kind of music, at least not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the fact that you're into it and the fact that you're still exposing yourself to it has to work its way into your playing somehow and, and into your, uh, your intent as you play. I would think so. I I would think so. I mean, in, in a way that might not be, um, um, obvious, you know, but in a, in a, just, just, you know, in, in, in fleeting moments, maybe that might that might come out, you know what I mean? Right. And whether, whether or not I could point to it, identify it, say right there, <laughs> that was an influence of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Roberta Flack. I don't know if, I don't know if that would happen, but you know, I mean, music is, uh, music does things to you and it doesn't matter what, what the genre is. It, 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 if it, if it sticks to you and it's part of your DNA, and that's what that's what it is. You right, know what I mean? Right. So you're that's you're bringing me is. you're bringing me around to like another aspect of the whole accessibility concept. Um, and it it has to do with like I said, your intent when you play, and and like you said, ideas that stick to you, and like ideas that you put out that can stick to other people. So like mm-hmm. as as a performer, um, are you trying to strike a balance between expressing yourself and entertaining others? Or like, is it weighted in one of those directions? Um, well, it, I'm always expressing myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the, the music that I do play is improvisatory at its base. I mean, there's some skill sets that that you have to have to be able to to just get up there and do it. Yeah, at, you know, from from a craftsmanship. Uh, perspective but um yeah so yeah i'm 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 constantly expressing myself because most of the time i'm playing music in a way that allows me to interpret it the way i feel mm-hmm. now i have that within the within the boundaries of of certain things of course i you know as a drummer we have to keep time in most instances sometimes we play situations last week i 
I played a, a couple of nights with, with somebody who we didn't have any music. We didn't have any script. It was just go out and play. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. It was great. You know, I guess you would call it avant-garde type of uh, collective improvisation. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and when everybody's listening and everybody's in the zone, that can be very, 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 very rewarding. Um, maybe sometimes it's more rewarding to the people that are doing it than the people that are listening to it. Right. If they don't, if they're not ready to receive that, you know what I mean? But um, anyway, so, you know, um, yeah. So I'm always expressing myself uh, when I play in terms of uh, entertainment. Um, um, well, I'm not, again, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a look at me type of musician or look at me type of drummer. I don't have that in me. I'm not, I can't razzle and dazzle anybody with my speed, my chops, my technique. Wow. Look at look at the, look at the paradiddles that he did with his feet and all that. I can't, <laughs> I can't do all, I can't do all that. Right, but, right. but, but you know, and, and and, uh, you know, I'm not putting that down. I'm not saying anything about that because, I, you know, I can I can sit here at home and watch virtu virtuosity on, on YouTube. Like and, you know, you get you know, you start start with one and then, you know, how YouTube yep, is. You it keeps feeding you. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, you like, spent like two hours. Oh, man, I was supposed to <laughs> You know, get up and go do yeah. something. And now you know I feel I mean? terrible so, about myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it can it can do that, too, but it can also inspire you to get the practice pad out. And yeah. Like, ah, yeah. you know what I mean? But, uh, but you know, um, but I'm not I'm not one of those kind of people. So I'm not I'm not demonstrative that sort of way. I hope people enjoy the music. I'm not necessarily an entertainer. But I guess you could say if somebody wanted wanted to look at it from the point of view of you're playing in front of an audience, they're there to what are they there to do? Hear some music, see you do it. Maybe that might be entertainment for them. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I guess I am an entertainer from their from that perspective. Right. But I'm certainly not really trying to entertain. I'm more trying to present some music mm -hmm. and hopefully they'll enjoy it. Hopefully they'll receive it. Maybe they might, maybe it might make them think right, <laughs> maybe, right. they, maybe some of it, they might not, not like as much as some of it. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not really in control of that. I'm certainly not going to, you know, do handstands and tricks to try to get them to, to, to see it my way, you know right, what I mean? Right, I'm, right. Uh, so I think um, it's definitely a give and take between artists and audiences. Like you, you know, you like you said, an audience has to show up sort of ready to receive something. You know, they got to right. they got to be open to an experience. Um, right. But I think it's you know it's it's also on the artist to to present their music or their art like in an emotionally honest way and in in mm -hmm. somewhat of a giving way that's not just self indulgent. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds like mm -hmm. I, I can tell you 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 strike that balance for sure. Yeah, I mean i I've heard about situations where let's say John Coltrane with 
with the quartet with McCoy, Tyner, and Elvin and Jimmy. You know, we, you know, we all know that that group and right. the, you know the, the historic importance of that group and the what quartet. it contributed to. Yeah. yeah. But there were there are people that said that they played in places and there was three or four people there and mm-hmm. they played like they were playing for a Rolling Stones crowd, you know, <laughs> yeah. thousands and thousands of people. And they still they still gave it up as if this is it. We you know, we're three people, three hundred thousand people, it doesn't matter. We're gonna we're going to go for the, go for it. You know, yeah. we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to play honestly. We're not going to half step and, and not give up a thousand percent because there's only three people there. Well, those three people there deserve your a thousand percent. Yeah. Just as 300,000 people would deserve it, you know, because right. they paid their money, whatever it was to come in and spend time out of their busy day to, to come and hear some music. So let's give it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so I, and I'm fortunate that I got a chance to play with many people that have that aesthetic, you know, Sonny Rollins and Bobby Hutchison and uh, Joe Henderson and Horace Silver, you know, they gave it up Yeah. every single time without fail. Yeah. No matter what the situation was. Right. And so that, that kind of, that kind of aesthetic, rubs off on you and you see their complete devotion to the music that they're trying to present regardless of the situation I wanted to talk to you about Horace Silver because he he is one of my all time favorite yeah. artists as as a player as a composer. Um, he to me is is one of the best examples of striking that balance between you know your your honest expression um, and something that uh, a lot of people can latch onto and relate to mm-hmm. on an on an emotional mm-hmm. level. Um, so how how long did you get to play with him and and what was that experience? Like? Um I just did one season. At that time he was just doing he was just doing one season a year, like one uh 4 or 5 month tour season a year. And I and I mm-hmm. just did one and he wanted me to do another one, but I couldn't do it because of because you know, you didn't hear from him for another 6 months until he was getting ready to do it again. And then by that time, you know, you got to, you know, <laughs> you're looking at things going, well, I got to work, you know what I mean? So unfortunately I couldn't, right. I couldn't accommodate him. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not a nice feeling to, to have to turn down, you know, a, an iconic figure like that. Um, mm-hmm. um, and that's happened to me more than a few times. And it's, it, you just, you just, you just, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the way it, that's the way it is. So that, so that was the, 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 the amount of time that I spent with him. And unfortunately I didn't get a chance to record with him, but I, I got to travel the world with him and of course play music with him and, and get to know him. And uh, it was a, it was a incredible, incredible experience all the way around. 
Yeah, I I, I want to believe that just hanging out with him is like as as funky and fun and funny and cool as his music is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's well, I mean, you know, you think about somebody that wrote so many pieces of music that have meant so much to so many people and are such an yeah. important part of the history of um of the music and uh mm-hmm. and so just being around somebody with that kind of uh um talent and uh, expertise in his craft it's just it's very inspiring yeah how did 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 his uh musical approach um rub off on you in any way that that kind of sticks with you to this day uh, well, the, one of the things, or the, the the thing that I just mentioned about him giving it up, um, giving yeah. a thousand percent every single time, that uh, that certainly rubbed off on me. I mean, and it's hard to you know that uh, maintaining that aesthetic can sometimes be very very hard to do because sometimes you're in musical situations where you're not particularly stimulated and things aren't going quite that well musically (laughs) and you you're not feeling that great about it uh and you know um there's nothing really that you can do about it so sometimes it gets the best of you and you 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 get a little dark this is not really what i (laughs) but uh but you, yeah. but when that happens, at least I can look in my look inward and go, man, no. Um, Horace Silver, people like him. For me, it didn't seem like they brought any kind of baggage from off the bandstand onto the bandstand. Yeah. They, when they yeah. came onto the bandstand, it was almost like this is a sacred place, and yeah. my and what I'm going to do is you know, be positive and push this thing out, you know? And so, you know, even though it's not the same thing, because at the time that I was playing with him, he had already firmly be become a band leader. He didn't do side man stuff. You you don't call Horace Silver to play on your record, all that kind of stuff. He had had moved into (laughs) another, like Miles Davis, you know, they, they they moved into a zone where they weren't, they were no longer for hire as such. Um, but I'm sure, well, first, certainly at one time, he, he was a, just a piano player on somebody else's record, you know? Right. Well, he was with uh, Blakey and the Messengers. That's, that's right. While, well, right? yeah, that was, yeah. that was, and he was on records by, with Miles Davis and all kinds of Stan Getz mm-hmm. and, you know, he, where he wasn't the leader, he was just the piano player. And I'm right. sure he did, you know, thousands of gigs just being the piano player before he, rose to the status of being a band leader, you know, an iconic composer and band leader. Uh-huh. Yeah. You mentioned that, that, uh, sort of principle of, you know, not bringing any baggage onto the bandstand and it's so much easier said than done. <laughs> Absolutely. It's man. It is something I'm working on. Like I, I have trouble compartmentalizing generally in life. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't go from task to task very fast. I don't shift gears from one emotion to another very mm-hmm. fast. Like, uh, and, and, um, 
you know, if I'm if I'm out of sorts for some non-musical reason, you know, whether it's a particular person or whatever, like especially if it's someone I'm playing with, um, I'm I'm really working on just like not bringing that negative energy onto the bandstand. And it's not that I'm going to like be a dick to someone on the stage or like intentionally play badly, but just within myself, leaving the negative shit behind and just at least coming to the stage with like a neutral <laughs> disposition. Yeah. Well, you know, don't be too hard on yourself because like I said, we're, we're human <laughs> beings first. So we have yeah. to deal, we yeah. have to deal with the human condition, you know, in spite of whatever it is that we're, our endeavors are, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And being a musician is, is an endeavor and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you bring with it the, 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 the human condition. And so it's, it's a work in progress to try to develop and get to the point where you can uh, leave that part of it and, 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 and go and do what you do, you know, right. in spite of whatever the situation is. And, and I, listen, I'm not, I, I haven't perfected it at, by any means. i get bugged like everybody else you know what i mean and uh and if something's not right i tend to kind of let it get in me and you know bring about this this cancerous thing that starts to eat you alive and then the next thing you know you're you know you're you're not playing well and you're not reacting and you're not being a professional and and all that kind of stuff, you know. So it's 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 very very difficult to to to, to do that. And I I I some people, it, you know, maybe some people do it better than others. And I've seen people that don't handle it very well at all. <laughs> yep. Yep. For so, sure. So you know, sure. you just you live and learn. Yeah, you live and learn. Yeah. You mentioned all the uh, compositions that Horace Silver is responsible for. And as I was thinking about it, I mean, first of all, there's just the number of them, right? Like the sheer number of of tunes that he wrote is insane. But a lot of them, most of them were not just like simple sort of melody, you know, chord things. They were like highly arranged compositions, often for, you know, multiple horns with, you know, very specific rhythm section parts. Um, it's one of the things I love about him is that he, his, his style is so recognizable because of that arrangement and because of the care that he put into it. And I mean, as far as instrumental tunes go, I feel like he, he is to instrumental tunes, what a composer like Cole Porter was to vocal tunes. Like there are so many Mm -hmm. of them. There's an immediately recognizable style Mm -hmm. and turn of phrase and, and all Mm -hmm. that. Um, but for, for people who aren't as familiar with Horace Silver, uh, you know, he's, he's not as much of a household name as a Miles Davis or somebody. Um, what, what were a couple of his tunes that you, that you really loved or that you really loved playing that, that, uh, you feel exemplify him? Oh, wow. There's so many. (laughs) I I, I know. (laughs) I I, I can't really, I don't know how to, how to do that because there's so many and I would, I would feel bad if I said, Oh man, I forgot to say, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, of course, you know, one of his biggest hits, let's say, was a song called Song for My Father. And that's a song that, right. uh, he basically played that every night. Yeah, really? he played it every night. And he 
pretty much had yeah. to because people, uh, you know, uh, and this has nothing to do with the genre, but, um, you know, when people come to see an artist that, that's, that, that, that is part of their DNA, that, and, and they want to hear that song that they play on their stereos or in, you know, in their car, or yep. they hear, you know, and that's a song that was a huge hit for him. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and probably his number one hit, you know, number one, you know, best selling. And he's not, certainly not gonna not play it because I'm sure it's yielded a lot of, uh, uh, income for him <laughs> in terms yeah. of the fact that it, yeah. it the record sold so much and you know like i was saying about you know having people play one of your tunes how many people have recorded song from my father in various various uh uh directions you know chrono string quartet to uh I don't know. I, you know, I don't know, maybe Emmy Lou Harris. I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm just, you know, right. not to yeah. mention, you know, various, uh, you know, quote unquote jazz instrumental groups. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so that was, you know, I mean, I'll just mention that because that was always uh, kind of a treat for me. You know, here I am playing song for my father with the guy who wrote it and played on it the right. first time it's like playing uh uh i don't know uh you know purple haze with hendrix i mean if you're a drummer and yeah. you, got a <laughs> you got a chance to play with hendrix he goes okay we're, we're gonna do purple purple haze it's like wow i'm playing purple haze <laughs> with hendrix i mean come on man you know same yeah. It, yeah. it has the same sort of you know it has the same sort of weight to it so um, so, yeah. the, you know, I, I'll just use that as, as one we played at the time that I was working with him. He was playing, he was playing music that was, uh, the tour was to support a new record that he had done. So we were playing a lot of that material, but like I said, uh, Horace mm -hmm. Silver could not get away with doing a concert without playing song for my father. And so, right. and he knew right. that. And of he course. Was, and it speaks to, I think it speaks to like his generosity as a performer because he could say like, I'm done with that song, right? I, I have other stuff I want to present. I want to express myself in a different right. way. And it's not that he played song for my father the same exact way every time. But um, I remember reading an interview with uh, Tony Bennett years ago and somebody asked him if he ever got sick of singing, uh, I left my heart in San Francisco. Right. And and he said, no, he was like, I, I owe everything to that that's song. right that that's right? the same thing with horace that's the way he looked at it i, I work with uh matt adley <clears throat> too did a couple of records with him mm -hmm. and travel with him and he, every night he played work song you know that song was a hit and he and he yep. would say you know this song bought me three houses sent my kids to, <laughs> to college, you know, all that kind of, you know, those guys, you know, that, that's, you know, that's something to, that you shouldn't, you yeah. shouldn't certainly shouldn't be ashamed of. or certainly, you know, you know, don't want to give the people a disservice because, you know, how many percent of those people are coming to that concert just to hear you play that? Yeah. Yeah. 
and playing it every night is is your gratitude to to that song and to those people. Absolutely, man. I mean, the Rolling Stones can't yeah. not play Satisfaction. They can't <laughs> right. do it. You know, and why and then why should they not do it? That song is make yeah. more money for them while they're sleeping at night than most people earn in a career in a lifetime. I read in your bio that, um, like, you you grew up in in Virginia, and at a certain point, it was uh, the drummer Al Foster who who kind of encouraged you to come to New York. Um, was he a, a contemporary, a friend, a mentor of yours? Like, what what was Al Foster to you? Well, at that time, Al Foster, well, well he still is, but at that time, well, now it's become. I've 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 known him now for almost 40 years. So it, our mm-hmm. relationship is, is certainly somewhere else now. Um, but at that time I was just, uh, a, a, a fan. <laughs> I was a fan. Yeah. He was, he was a, he was a, he was an idol. You know, he was a guy who I loved. I loved his playing. I still do. That's never going to change. But at that time, at that time I was just, I was just like, you know, Al Foster, Al Foster, wow, Al Foster, I'm going to go see Al Foster, you know, like that, you know. And, um, you know, like I had with, you know, with a whole bunch of big people. But um, so, yeah, basically, I've I've kind of told this story before, but in in, in, in a nutshell, I went to go see him play. I was still living in Virginia. I went to New York to go see him play at the recommendation of Joe Henderson who I had met in, in Virginia. And I, and I was talking to Joe Henderson and Al had been working with Joe Henderson. And I, I, and I was asking Joe Henderson about Al and he said, well, man, you should come up to New York and uh, we're playing, you know, and come up, you know what I mean? And uh, so I, I had an opportunity to go up and I went up and I met Al and that started my, um, my getting to know him because I, I, I started coming up more frequently whenever I would see, you know, I would get the village voice newspaper <laughs> at that time. Right. And, uh, and when I, that, the village voice had all the listings of all, all the live music in, in New York. And so I would find out when he was playing and I would take an airplane and come up to, to New York. And so I saw him play dozens of times with a lot of different people. And, um, and and uh, you know, and he just kind of intimated to me that you know you should, you should you should come up. You should consider you know moving here if that's what you want to do. You know, you keep coming up here. You know, and you know that was in the back of my mind to do that anyway. But um, you know, that was a nice nice bit of encouragement from an idol. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Art Blakey did the same thing with me, and really, of course, of course, Art Blakey another idol, you know, sure. you know, and, um, uh, I never really, I never really got a chance to have a relationship with our Blakey, like I did with Al. Um, but, uh, but still, you know, I mean, our Blakey's like, whew, you know, he's one of the, <laughs> you know, one of the founding fathers of this thing yeah. that I'm trying to do, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, so that's basically how that happened. And I, you know, but, but that, you know, it was, 
it all was because I was just a huge, huge, huge fan of his playing. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to get into a situation where I got a chance to to meet him. And he's the greatest person. He's the sweetest guy. Mm-hmm. And uh and and he 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 welcomed me, you know, like right. you know, there was no there was no there was no thing. He was just like, ah, man, you know, he was just like right away, you know, just like, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, it's, it's this guy, he's, you know, yeah, you know, the drummer. Yeah, you know. Let's get him up here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and actually that first time I actually sat in, um, he asked oh, me nice. to sit in and he hadn't, wow. even heard, hadn't even, you know, he hadn't even, uh, he hadn't even. Hadn't even heard me play, but with you but, sat in with Joe Henderson. Yeah, man, yeah, he, he trusted was, you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. That happened with our Blakey too, and I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's like divine intervention. I don't know. You know, maybe they just had a had a had a feeling. You know, you know, some mm-hmm. of these guys are they. You know, there's something about them. I mean, they couldn't play the way that they play with, without having having been tapped into something that mm-hmm. that's uh, extraordinary in terms of perception and depth and uh, and being able to sort things out and you know that yeah. sort of thing. So maybe they just saw you know a little inkling of hope <laughs> right. in, in, right. in, in me. So I'm grateful for that. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't my best moment, but nevertheless, <laughs> I, I, I stepped up to the plate and did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as far as like how he played and how he plays, um, just from a drumming perspective, like what was it about him that that so captivated you? Oh, let's see. Well, it it was everything really. Uh, uh, it was everything. It was, it was, it was, it just got me on every level. It got me on every level. Uh, and I can say that about a few other people too. When the first time I saw them or heard them, mm-hmm. when the first time I heard him, cause I, I, I had listened to Al for, for some years prior to my actually seeing him play. And this is the same thing that happened with, let's say Tony Williams or, um, Elvin Jones or, um, uh, Jack Dejanet, Billy Higgins, Max Roach, mm-hmm. yeah, Buddy, Buddy Rich. Um, you know, I could go on and on. But anyway, so <laughs> I, um, I, um, I just liked everything about him. I liked his melodicism. I liked the way he swung. I liked his creativity. I liked his touch. I liked the way his drum sounded. Um, yeah, I liked the way, that's big. I liked, yeah, I like the people way kind of I, discount that. But uh, sorry to interrupt you, but like I, mm-hmm. I feel like how how a particular drummer's drums sound has a huge effect on on um, whether or not you kind of become obsessed with them, right? Because yeah. If, like this, if the acoustic sound of the drums themselves isn't like speaking to you on some way, in some way, then you know. But if like if the tuning of them, if the tone, if like just the voice they're getting out of those drums is something that you're like, Oh, Holy shit. Like, <laughs> you know, right, in addition right. to whatever specifically they're doing. Um, right, right, right. And at that time, uh, his tuning was, was a little bit out of the ordinary for, from a, a 
typical jazz drum tuning. It was tune. It was he was tuning really low. Mm, yeah. And he and he didn't have like a crisp sounding snare drum. His snare drum was kind of fat and kind of low, and the yeah. tom toms were kind of low. Mm-hmm. And and he used a, a specific cymbal that I was enamored with, having been a fan of Jack Dijonet. It's called a Peisty Sound Creation Dark Ride cymbal, mm. which they they don't make anymore. And uh, and Al and uh, and Jack both. Uh, were two of the only people that I know that really made that symbol, which is a very, very difficult symbol to play and make sound good. They were the only two that really kind of did that mm-hmm. for my, for my ears that I've heard thus far. Yeah. And so I, w- I was already enamored with that symbol and he doesn't sound like Jack on it, but he makes it sound incredible as does or did jack yeah yeah. and so that kind of blew my mind the combination of that symbol with his tuning with his just unbelievably beautiful touch and concept just separated him as most drummers do that i like with just being such an individual you know yeah Um, yeah and and so um you know, it's the same, you know, so, you know, I could say the same thing about Jack, you know, the, at that time, the sonar drums, the tuning, right. the, Peist, the Peisty cymbals, this is the 70s I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he's he's moved on and evolved. He's always had sonar, but, you know, and Al always played Yamaha. And uh, so he was one of the few, like, swinging jazz drummers at that time, because Yamaha was always kind of associated with more of a you know like a i don't know how to describe it like a set studio drum, yeah. studio sound and drums but mm-hmm. he he had them and whoo man it was really just incredible and um and you know it's not just the gear and all that kind of stuff it's the gear because of its because of what it was but also the way he used it and the way he uh, the way he made it work and, 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 and sonically how he, how he made that weave into the fabric of all the music was just, yeah. uh, you it's know, that and alchemy I, for sure. Like that yeah. combination of a particular instrument and a particular player. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. And, you know, that's not to say that he couldn't get his sound on any instrument. I mean, cause he, he borrowed my drums for a gig uh, one time. I was playing opposite him with Joe in Europe somewhere and I had my drums with me and, and he used my drums and he, he got his sound. He got his sound. Isn't that nuts how that happens? (laughs) Oh man, that that's happened to me so many times, man. Roy Haynes said it on my drums (laughs) and, uh, and he had a, at that, he had a particular, well, one thing that's been a constant with him since about 1968 is the flat ride symbol that he used on, um, now he sings, now he sobs, but record yep. by Chick Korea. And so he, since that time, he's been utilizing a flat ride symbol exclusively, maybe even a right. couple. But right. uh, he said it, he said it on my drums and I didn't have a flat ride. I didn't have a, a Ludwig drum set with a snare drum cranked up high. I didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he sat down, there it was. Yep. Snare, snare drums cranked up and my, 
22 inch K Zildjian old Turkish K now sounds like a flat rod. Yeah. How does that, how does he do, how does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, like guitarists, guitarists talk all the time about how, you know, your, your sound is in your hands. Um, and it's obvious why on a guitar. Um, but I, I've said it before on the podcast and I'll keep saying it. Like, I think it's just as true for drummers and, and the more that we can all sort of tap into like, what, what do my hands really sound like? And how can I lean into that? Like, no matter what drum set I'm playing, um, I think it's just, it's part of like learning your identity as a musician and the experience you had with Al Foster. Like I, I had a similar experience when I was in grad school, when I discovered Bill Stewart, Mm -hmm. he's, he's just one of my Mount Rushmore, like all time warrior God, you know, love him. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, like his, uh, you know, the combination of his particular ride symbols and he uses usually like a, a Gretsch, I think it's a bronze or copper snare. That's like cranked up really high, kind of wide open. So it has a bunch of twang to it. Um, you know, in addition to his particular vocabulary, um, and his approach, um, just the, the, you know, his sonic voice, the, the, the sound of his instruments just like grabbed me. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy, like nothing I'd ever heard, you know? Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what happened. Are you still teaching at Juilliard? Yeah, I teach at Juilliard and at NYU. Oh wow, man, those in are in New York. City. Two of the huge ones. We've interviewed a number of uh, people who have uh, studied and taught at the new school, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I I know much less about um, NYU and and Juilliard. Um, but I'm curious as uh, as an educator, especially an educator in New York, I'm sure that those programs attract all manner of young drummers who um, are going in just tons of different directions. Um, Is there anything among them that like, is there any concept or sort of uh, principle that you find most, if not all of these young people uh, sort of need from you, you know, in addition to whatever else they're pursuing and what their sort of uh, interests are, um, is there kind of are there any universal concepts that you find yourself uh, instilling in in most, if not all, of your students? Um, well, I can I I I can only teach what I know, mm-hmm. right? So, um, with some students, let me see how to put this. Um, uh, some student, every student is different, and every student comes to the these these programs with with different uh experiences and capabilities and uh um deficiencies and things and so i i try to deal with whatever their situation requires me to to deal with you know mm-hmm. um some some come with uh 
very little understanding of the music and some come with not much technical ability um some come with both those deficiencies uh, mm. and then so, and then some come with a high level of technical proficiency and some come with a pretty good understanding of the music uh some uh need to look at the, the different concepts of playing the different ways that you might have to encounter when you out when you're out here in the street playing with people, you know. Right, right. Um and none of them have any experience. <laughs> right. So so uh well not much experience. Maybe some of them that come to grad school after having gotten their bachelor's degree and maybe they were out in the street for three or four years and decided to come back and get their masters or whatever it is, blah, blah, blah. Right. And they've gotten they've gotten a little time out in the street playing with people, traveling. Maybe they've done some recordings, this, that, and the other. So they got a little bit of something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so basically you have to deal with, with everybody on a, on a individual basis. Cause, uh, uh, you know, it, it runs the gamut as to what kind of situation you're going to get with, with, with any given person. And, uh, uh, they don't know what they need themselves. And a lot of them, they come to you. Uh, they don't even know, they don't even know who I am. I mean, not (laughs) that, not that they need to, you know, be all in awe of who, of of who I am or what I've done or whatever. But it's kind of interesting that, uh, someone would come to school and choose to study with someone and not do a quote unquote background check. You know what I mean? It's like, why would, why would you choose to study with, me or anyone else if you had no idea what what i do or what my credentials are who i am or what i'm it's you know everybody has one of these so all you have to do is google type in the name and you know you can find out pretty quickly you can go on youtube you can go on spotify all that kind of stuff to see what they play like yada 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 and you'd be surprised that um how many people don't do that at all? And yeah. I, I find I find it to be just like what, especially, <laughs> especially in this day and age when you have so much at your fingertips. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's um, it's a conversation I've had on on this podcast a number of times about um, uh, collegiate music programs and how um, a lot of times uh, students don't really. Um, do enough research about what they're signing up for and and don't put enough effort into finding a teacher and a program and a school and a city that um that is really going to be a good fit for them um in their defense it's hard to know a lot of those things when you're 18 <laughs> you know cause absolutely. That, that requires absolutely. Some, some self-awareness um, absolutely but uh, and, I, and i i under, i understand that and and listen i I'm not expecting someone to come to school and be Philly Joe Jones. I'm not right. expecting that. Um, that's, you know, and, and, uh, believe me, I've, I've had some students that are fantastic. They're fantastic students. 
Um, they were super talented when they got in. They left with way more knowledge now, and they've gone out here, and they're out here playing. Mm-hmm. And that that's that lets me know that at least I did something. You know? Right, right. I did, I did. You know, because you can't really teach anybody how to play play music uh you, you can you can give them you can you can give them some tools um but they have to do the work you know it's more about turning them on and then but they have to do the nuts and bolts heavy lifting I, right that's I, I can't you know there's no you know like you know how it is there's no magic bullet there's no magic pill Right. It's it's hard it's hard work it's study it's dedication and the most important thing is is it's love. If you don't love it, if you don't absolutely love it, if you don't absolutely just want to just surrender to it and realize that this is it, I will accept no substitutes. Mm-hmm. Then it's going to be very difficult to excel at it because there's nothing necessarily. Uh, that's going to be uh, rewarding, except for the fact that you do it. Yeah, yeah. And 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 if you do it, and if you love it, you're going to want to do it really, really well. Right. And I think the best, <laughs> I think the best educators, particularly in in music and particularly in jazz, um, don't just pour knowledge into people. Right. They, especially at the collegiate level, it's not just about like teaching someone how to play. It's about sort of tapping into their love for what they do or what they could do and Mm -hmm. inspiring and motivating them to basically teach themselves. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you can turn people on. I mean, that's how I learn. I didn't take formal drum set. I took some, I took some formal, um, you know, snare drum, you know, rudimental and concert snare drum study with a great teacher when I was about 13, 14 years old. But it wasn't drum set. Drum set, I had already been playing drum set by the time I had done that. But this teacher was was great. And he and he turned me on to the right stuff. And so I'm forever indebted to him for that. Yeah. Um, um, but in terms of the, the drum set and music, that was just people turning me on. Right. People just, you know, like, you know, like at this time, at that time, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it was, you know, somebody would come over your house with a record. Hey, man, have you heard this? (laughs) No. Check this out. Boom. Put the record on. Wow. Who's that? (laughs) Right. Right. Boom. You know, then you're you're hooked. You know, you're hooked, you know, and that's your own self. This self motivation, you know, you're you're infatuated with this thing. Yeah. And so when you're infatuated, you're going to stop at nothing to pursue, 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 love, pursue, you know, infatuation, pursue. And so that's, that's what you, so when you're in school, if I can kind of do that, you know, within the boundaries of what school and the protocols of school have you adhere to i try to i try to put that in as much as possible because that's just going to help them deal with the protocols of school and all the 
the the I's that need to be dotted and the T's that need to be crossed because of a school protocol. Right. Right. I mean, it is it is academia. So academia has its things that that you have to uh, adhere to For in sure. order to advance within that framework. Yeah, as a student and an educator. All, all of that. Yeah, yeah, all of that. So you have to kind of balance it out and and then and then you have the the uh the uh, the the human being that is there. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Everybody responds differently to different things. For sure. So, so you can't deal with one person the way you deal with the other person because that person doesn't doesn't receive the same way. Yeah, so you have to find a uh, find a find another way to get to them. Yep. Like you know what I mean? You have to find another way to get to them, and then once you tap in and get them to like spark up, then you've got a chance. And right. that person has a chance. It's it's one of my beefs with uh, some collegiate music programs is that it, it's kind of a it's kind of a conveyor belt, right? Like the uh, the professors are just kind of putting every student through like we're going to learn we're going to learn these tunes, we're going to study these drummers, we're going to do these transcriptions, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and then we're going to be done. Um, mm-hmm. But an educator who's sort of perceptive enough to sort of pick up on each individual student's tendencies, their interests, and then like find a way to just turn them onto that and start that fire. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's when I think the best results happen, uh, but for, for all parties involved for the teacher and the, and the student, um, I was poking around your website and, and, uh, there's this quote from you on there, uh, that struck me and I I just want to read it real quick. It says, um, I consider myself very fortunate to have come up playing with some of the innovators of jazz who, in many instances, helped shape the way this music is and will always be played. Priceless experience for a young person learning how to be a musician. They taught me how to be a professional, to know the material, to be on time, and most of all, to play from your heart. So now I feel like you're, you're on the other end of that equation. <laughs> well... I don't know about that, but because uh, <laughs> I'm certainly not an innovator, and I didn't create any way of playing like some of the people that I like, Sonny Rollins or Horace Silver, or Ron Carter, or, you know, these people. Mm-hmm. Basically, with, without them, music would be different. Mm-hmm. Take them out of the equation, and you know, think a big a big hunk of music that wouldn't be there. Yeah. And think about how that affected music that came because they were there, mm-hmm. right? That's the true idea of what I think great is, you know, really great. Right. And so, yeah, so I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that. I, I'm, I'm not that. I'm just, but what I, what, what I'm ha- happy about is that I got a little piece of that. Yeah, I, you're a standard being, bearer for that tradition. Yeah, by being a by being able to be a part and 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 rub shoulders with these kinds of um, these kind of these kind of people, you know what I mean? Uh, right. And so that'll stay with me for the rest of my days, you know. And so if that's part of me, and and a person gets to get that from me. Then it's really it's just handed down from 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 somebody else through me. You know, I'm just kind of a conduit, right? To, you know, to to a little bit of of that. You know what I mean? And uh, that's I mean, that's really how I look at it. 
and the last part of what you said about about playing from your heart is is uh, you might not consider yourself an innovator, but but playing from your heart is is something that I think you exemplify, and it it's something that um, I feel is uh, missing in a lot of music and a lot of jazz. Uh, I think jazz has been very um, cerebralized, and uh, you know that's that's partly because it it is sort of the um, in, in the area of academia over the last couple decades. But when you talk about those artists you play with, the Sonny Rollins, the Horace Silvers, like um, they, weren't, they weren't using their brains. They were using their hearts, right? Like what they were doing with their brains was uh, an, ex- an expression. It was a function of what their, their hearts wanted to do. And I feel like jazz at its best um, is, is about that. It's, it's not to turn music into a math problem. It's about to figure out who we are and what we give a shit about and how to express that in a way that resonates with, with some other people. Well, well, I mean, I think that, uh, most of the people that I admire and the people that you, that I named that you named, uh, certainly play from their heart, but they certainly in terms of the cerebral part of it or the, the uh, technical part of it, they put a lot of study and time in of course. Uh, under, understanding music from a harmonic and melodic and rhythmic point of view. And they can, they, they use that their own way. Right. So, so that it, that's the way it, that's the way it came off. Um, Right. And, uh, and, and I, I should clarify, like, I, uh, you know, becoming proficient and becoming virtuosic from a from a technical standpoint or from a cerebral standpoint, mm-hmm. from a harmonic standpoint, um, the I, I think the greatest artists, uh, you know, develop that proficiency in service of their expression. Right. Like the proficiency isn't the it's not just for proficiency's sake. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the thing that I. I think that I am attracted to uh, with, say, um, let's say, uh, you know, uh, um, I don't know, Max Roach or Tony Williams. These people had unbelievable technique that if you wanted to just tap into that, you could and that could that could carry you over for your whole career if you're just tapping into the technique and you 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 exclude the musicality you exclude the melodicism you you exclude the creativity you exclude the application of skill on music in music mm-hmm. um but um for me I was I I luckily for me I was able to tap into all of it. Those those people got me on all of those points. Like I was saying about Al, the, 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 all of those all of those points were 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 pushed for me. Right. Um, and 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 there's much of it that I you know that might be too. I don't know if it's cerebral. It's 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 not them. It's me. I'm not, I can't understand it. Right. Right. It doesn't I, you speak know, to you. I, 
well, I, I, it speaks to me, but I can't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't understand Elvin Jones. Some some of the stuff that he played. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know what that is. A Jack DeJanette. I don't know what that. I can't break that down. I went and saw, um, this is many years ago, Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock were doing a duo. They had done a duo record. Wow. And I love Wayne Shorter and I love Herbie Hancock. And yeah. I've got pretty much everything that either of those two guys have ever done as a sideman, as a leader, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I went to the concert. I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> and I, at that point, I had considered myself, you know, a pretty seasoned musician that had gotten to play with some legends that are the same level as them and all that. I didn't understand it, man. I didn't understand it. But I liked it. Right. <laughs> right. But I, I didn't understand it at all. It was it was very, 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 very deep. And I'm sure they weren't trying to be cerebral, but they're just at a level that it's just a high level. Like right. I'm saying about El Elvin Jones. It's it's he's not he's not trying to be uh, deep for deep sake. He's just deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He yeah. just is. And it, you know, but at the same time, as deep as he is, as and this is what I tell his people all this all the time, as deep as Elvin Jones is, or Elvin Jones was, uh, and like I said, I'm a drummer that has played and I understand what it what I understand about drums a little bit, you know, I understand rat-a-tat-tat and doubles and singles <laughs> and the organizations of such things. Yeah. But, but so I couldn't understand a lot of what he was playing and I still don't. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to him for damn near 60, no, 50 some years now. Yeah. Okay. So, but I know this, that you could take your grandmother who is not a musician. I'm just, using this as an example. Yeah. You could take your grandmother who's not a, not a musician to go see him play. And with all of that deepness and all of that virtuosity and all of that complexity, she would walk away with saying, I don't know what that was, but that was something else, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That's the way, you know, that's the way that, that people like that can present this deepness and still speak to anyone who's got a, a heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 you know, that's one of the things that's remarkable about these people. Um, uh, you know, uh, I never saw Coltrane, but everybody says Coltrane just would get, he just got to you. He mm. just got, you, 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 you might not have understood it, but he just got to you. Right. Something about the way he, something how, about the way his delivery system was. It was pure. Yeah. It was a pure thing. And this guy played the saxophone as well as anybody in the history of music, you know, right. him and Charlie Parker and people like that. Sonny Rollins, those guys, technically now, you can't get any deeper than that, you know. Right. You know, you, you know, I don't care if you got a PhD, a triple PhD in saxophone, you're not going to be able to pretty much do that. Yeah. Not like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you know? those artists, like they, you know, there are 
sort of maybe once in a generation or maybe a little more, but artists who, who just like transcend their instrument, they transcend their technique. Um, and when you, you know, when I think of Tony Williams or John Coltrane, I don't, I don't think of like, I don't think of what they played. I just think of this all encompassing concept of who they were. Right. Right. That's it. That, that, that's, that's, that's right. They, and like I say, some people just latch on to the, you know, the rat-a-tat-tat part of it, which is great. I mean, and that's hard to do. That's hard to do too. That's, that's almost impossible to do, but some people, that's what they go for. And they spend their whole time trying to do that and discard all the other stuff. Right. And so they're getting like the tip of the iceberg. And even that you have to take your hat off to them for even being able to do that because it's, it's uncanny. And, you know, and that guy put a, that guy was a constant talk about academic. That guy was a student, perpetual student his mm-hmm. whole life. Yeah. And, uh, that's why he excelled at it. You know, uh, he had the, he had the capacity to do that, but he excelled at, at playing the drums. He excelled at, uh, writing music. Uh, you know, he was just, he was one of those kind of people that was like, a, you know, a sponge, yeah. He, 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 you know, he took it, you know, Coltrane, a sponge, man. These guys, these guys were like, they were taking it all, yeah. all the time. You Almost know? obsessively. And it, <laughs> yeah. And it, and it, and it, when it, when they played, it came out, man, you know right. what I mean? Right. In a pure way, because they were doing it from a pure intent. Yeah. Because they loved it and they had an affinity for it and they had an attraction to it. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Billy, it was really great talking to you, man. It was a, it was an honor to to get to know you a little bit, and uh, and thanks again for doing it. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you, man, and I, I appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, taking the time to speak with me uh, about all this stuff. And uh, good luck to you. And I'll, I'm going to check out some of your um, some of your um, interviews, and because uh, I know yeah, please do a, lo- a lot of people that are on there, I know and. Uh, yeah. Um, my, my some of my friends and, and some of my uh, idols, and so I got to see what they have to say too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, congratulations on the new record, man. Good luck with it. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Zach. There you go, Mr. Billy Drummond. Dude is a real one for sure. Check out his new album, Vals Sinistre, wherever you get music. And in addition to that, he's played on over 350 jazz recordings. So really a ton of other stuff to dig into over his career. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with session drummer and programmer Stephen Wolf, who has worked with some of the biggest names in pop music ever, including Beyonce, David Bowie, Aretha Franklin, Katy Perry, Pink, Alicia Keys... I told you, some of the biggest ever. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.